Hello everyone and welcome to Capes, Cows and Masks, the show where we uncover the world of soups and science fiction. I'm your host, Jay Cart. I'm a podcaster, a sound designer and a writer for the Fresh Take Hub. And as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host. Hi everyone, it's Tom Gapper here, podcaster, aspiring writer and your resident comic book shogun. Here to get sexy with you today. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. We got quite the show for you tonight. Quite the saucy, romantic show. Uh, And we do have a guest on, but Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Been uh, very busy with work, but also been squeezing in my comic book reading. Been reading uh, all the early Amazing Spider-Man issues, so I'm so ready to talk about romance today specifically justice for betty brands the original and true romance for peter parker who has not been done justice in any film yet and feige if you're listening i will drop cap wolf if you give me a meaningful betty brand arc okay that's so that's how my, my is that the new going. campaign that's the new campaign i've given up on cap wolf <laughs> though i still maintain what if is the perfect place to have what if captain america was a werewolf Hey, we also got Moon Knight coming up, Oh, and he fights werewolves. So there we go. Well, it's all coming good. together. Fe- I think Feige has been listening, and he's just like, Don't, well, this is going to be the new end game. It's just Cap Wolf. That's Cap Wolf is the thing. It's it's the big MCU yeah. threat. It's, it's like the even, Thanos level threat. Even Kang is terrified of him. He's like, oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of wolves, I've uh, continued my uh, read-through of The Witcher. I am this close to finishing, and I must say I'm quite impressed that I've managed to read eight books in about a month. That is quite uh, impressive, to be fair. Very impre- I'm quite proud of myself there. Love the series and going to be jumping in to the games and the comics and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, you know what? On today's topic as well, those games and books is quite horny and quite descriptive of a lot of sexual activities. So uh <laughs> fits right into what we're talking about today. So today's episode in celebration of Valentine's Day, which is coming up, we're going to be looking at romance and relationships within superhero stor- stories. We'll be discussing its importance, how it's portrayed, how it evolved and what the future entails. Uh, we won't be doing this alone, though. As I mentioned, we do have a guest, our first guest of the year. She is a film blogger, a film and TV production graduate, Laura Filmer. Welcome to the show, Laura. Hi, I've completely forgotten everything I was going to say because I'm now that busy picturing Captain America as a werewolf. Here we go. See, it's powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. It really is. I was that busy sat there thinking that'd be such a cool, like, what if episode. And, and then they bring it live action. Exactly. Best way to do it. Yeah. In Doctor Strange 3. Laura is my new favorite guest that we've ever had. Sorry, Rob, but uh, he was never th- he was never that. this into Cap Wolf. So, no. um, yeah. I didn't even know it existed until like now, but I'm here for oh, it. you gotta you got to go back to, through our catalog. It's been an ongoing campaign since I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier was airing. Yes. <laughs> Crikey. I will definitely look into that. <laughs> so, yeah, Laura, uh, thank you for coming on the show. You know, where we've been... We've been speaking online for a few weeks now and geeking out about all sorts of stuff. Uh, so it was a pleasure to get you on board. Uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself and like your fandom and how you got into all this nerd world. I think I got into it uh, about 2010. I didn't get into the MCU straight away. I can remember seeing the trailer for Iron Man 2 and just wanting to see it, even though I'd never seen the first one. And it basically all just stemmed from there. That's that's my first memory of getting into it all before that i'd always been into star wars but superheroes didn't become my thing until then 
2010 was it Iron so it was Iron Man 2 then like your first sort of superhero film or no I watched I got Iron Man on DVD and then by the time I got like in watched that Iron Man 2 would then come out on DVD so that was my introduction to the MCU it's just incredible how the MCU now it I look at it kind of like Star Wars that everybody has like a different entry point now because it's gone on long enough that everybody's like oh I watched it with Captain America or I watched it with Iron Man so that that's that's awesome that you came in with that one um and that so you did you like just fall in love with the world then or I instantly fell in love with it and then I remember from that point I knew Captain America was coming out the following year and the minute I saw that film I was just captivated as much as I loved the Iron Man films it was Captain America for me that's been my my favorite trilogy ever since I mean, that's a fair point. You're pr- I would say you're pretty on the money there. I think that was making the rounds as well on Twitter recently about which, who has the best MCU trilogy. And I was like, well, it's got to be Cap. Yeah, it was. I'm it's pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure Cap came out on top in, in that poll. Yeah. By and it. then like Spidey came second. Uh, but yeah, Cap o- Cap's always going to win on that one because mainly because of just the Winter Soldier and Civil War are just so fucking good. <laughs> Those films are so good. Um, which we might briefly talk about as well in this film. Uh, mm. This film? We're Wait. not making a film. We're doing Are we a podcast. Are we making a film? Jake, why didn't I you hope... tell me? <laughs> oh, no, that's Rob's job. He's making the film. No, that's true. That's true. Who's playing me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we're talking about, you know, uh, romance and how it plays an equal role in these superhero films, like as important as the action and spectacle are, and that's probably the main focus of why we go into them, but... It's love stories aren't always the first thing that comes to mind when like a new comic book film adaptation or a TV show. And yet I think it's woven into the fabric of this from the very beginning. You know, it's part of this mythic romantic fairy tale that is superheroes. Uh, We just get different variations of them. And if you look back to all sorts of storytelling and especially mythic and fantasy, there's always a sense, I think, of sweeping romance and it plays a big part in a lot of these stories but um laura i'll start with you like do you think romance is important for superhero stories i was thinking about this today and yes and no i think it depends on the superhero in one way as well i i don't know like it's a difficult one really because in some superhero films it does work really really well and it's the you know the female love interest isn't a plot device and in other instances it's just like why did you bother having a female love interest when you did nothing with her like 50 50 in my eyes Mm. so for you it's more on how it's executed oh definitely if it's bad execution then i just think what was the point so for me i just see think what was the point at times with christine harmer in doctor strange Mm. there's a few people who have the similar comments yeah yeah. What about yourself, Tom? Do, do you think it's all based on the execution or do you think in the concepts it is important within these stories? Um, I do think uh, it comes down to execution. And like Laura said, I think it does vary on the superheroes. Now, when you go people like uh, Superman, I think it is very important to have his lowest lane there, to have that romance because he is a character that needs to be grounded. I mean, he is a very humble kid anyway, brought up on a farm in tech in texas in kansas um but like you it 
Lois Lane just like ties him to the earth like even more, makes him care about like the planet even more. And also within that, Lois Lane is like a very strong, powerful character in her own right, and quite often has her own stories going on separate from Superman. Um, obviously, with all the years of comic books, there have been some questionable moments in the whole Superman Lois Lane thing. But yeah, I do think it comes down to execution and I think it will vary from hero to hero. Like for example, the question, I don't go into the question comics wanting to see like, Ooh, who's, who's he going to be romancing uh, this week? I don't actually care about romance in that particular setting. But then as I said, with someone like Spider-Man, yeah, I kind of want to see how Spider-Man like juggles a personal relationship whilst being Spider-Man because struggle has always been a huge part of his character so yeah i think it's it's definitely a case by case thing but i think it's definitely something that shouldn't be overlooked and i think sometimes some movies are maybe potentially and some stories may be potentially damaged by their like reluctance to delve into romance um it's an interesting one basically <laughs> hence why we're having this talk today mm. no yeah it's definitely an interesting conversation especially where superhero movies are now with how they portray romance and going forward. But personally, I think it is kind of important to superhero stories in the sense of like, these are such grand epic films and stories, whether that be on TV or on the page or whatever, that there needs to be something, as you eloquently said, Tom, that brings us back down to reality, to a sort of human emotion and something that we all have in common as humans is love you know we all love um either our families or our partners or whatever or spouses one night stands you know all sorts of things that we we do uh and emote that i think it's something that yes it can be on a case-by-case basis that maybe the question is not (laughs) the the greatest character to delve into like romantic side but i think in most cases i think it's important to have that there because it shows an other side to the character that we otherwise wouldn't have seen. Uh, because when you're in a intimate relationship or you're in love, there's a different side to you, I think, that comes out. And you're a different person when you're around the person that you love. Um, you know, we all have different faces for depending on who we're with or the environment we're in. And I think that's one that's deeply personal. Uh, I think it's important to show in superheroes, and it's it, for me anyway. It's something I can relate to them, in a way. And but yeah, it, at the same time, it does depend on which characters uh, you delve into that more or so. So like Spider Man is a perfect example, and Superman obviously being, you know, the OG. I think we can all agree that, and we'll get into it in a bit that the Superman Lois Lane is like the archetype of like superhero romance you could say i was there from i mean i personally say wally and linda but uh, i am a wally west simp um and i i, I love that man <laughs> but yes uh, if, we're, if we're thinking chronologically yeah. Yeah. No, chronologically <laughs> lois and clark are you know their end game uh otp as i believe tumblr used to say and um so how do you think they're these romance are portrayed in the media i mean laura you're more of a film person like, how do you think within superhero movies, romance is portrayed? Do you th- obviously there has to be some exaggeration? It's the movies, you know what I mean. Uh, and I think especially, maybe more so than comics, romance is important for movies because it's part of that you know romantic sweeping thing about going to the movies, about being taken off to another world. Uh, so, do you think it's portrayed well in movies, 
or can they miss the mark a lot of the time? I think a lot of the time they do miss the mark. I think as well it depends on like the genre of the film. So for example, rom coms get it wrong a lot of the time because usually the person like the person the girl's pining after when you like break that person down it's like he is so wrong for you like there's like red flags everywhere but it's like oh he's like the perfect person for me yet in other genres like well I'll go with superhero films a lot of the time it's like done like right like the perfect people are paired together and they are right for each other 99% of the time I think it's goes based more on genres like to me See, I don't know. I don't know if it's. Hmm. Tom, what what do you think? Because let, let me. I'm going to think about that one. Yeah. Um. I think generally, like I said, within comics, it's it's hard to make a, a generalizing statement because we've had comics since like the 1930s with like DC and Marvel. There's been loads of different stories, so there's highs and lows. So it's hard for me to say. Like, it has been portrayed well. It's also been portrayed really poorly. In context of like the movies, so like say the MCU, DCEU, and I'll even throw in like the TV shows, the CW-verse and all that. Um, I think generally romance has been done quite shit, if I'm being brutally honest. There are definite exceptions. I think within Tom Holland's Spider-Man trilogy, him and uh, MJ's relationship has been a particular highlight. I even liked the sort of relationship he was building up with Liz in the first film. And I actually liked that at the end, it was a case that they didn't end up together naturally because, you know, Peter's now got to go and fight and imprison her father. Um, and yeah, anytime that there is a Clark and Lois on screen together, it, it's always great. But I find for the most part, just sometimes these romances feel shoehorned in. And also what I found, especially the CW verse is the most guilty for this is they are actually quite great at like building up the tension of like the will they won't they aspect. And you thinking, are these characters going to get together or these circumstances keep getting in the way. But once they're actually in the relationship, it takes a steep fucking nosedive. And I always find that, like, I think I always come to, like, Iris and Felicity for this. Naturally, if you're dating a superhero, there's going to become times when that is an issue and you're going to have arguments about that, about, you know, are you actually committed to me or are you more committed to going out and beating up people on the streets? Or, like, I, I don't want to see yourself putting yourself in danger all the time. It's hard for me. Those are fair enough. But I find often they'll have these disagreements that are written so poorly that like actually the the women like iris and felicity come off so bad to the point that a majority of the fandom really like a majority of like cw fans really don't like felicity and they really don't like iris which makes me especially mad because iris west is close to lois lane in terms of like one of the best like romantic partners for a superhero in comic books at least um and I think within the Marvel films, now I know this is a controversial point, and I know that Jake and Dave do disagree with me on this. But what I find silly is like in the Marvel films, they'll shoehorn in all these like romances that just don't work, or they just reduce the female characters down to damsel in distresses or just like one and done love interests that you never see again. And then you've got something like in Shang-Chi. Now I know that it's it's not outwardly like any romantic tension between Shang-Chi and Katie. But I feel like the potential was definitely there because people pointed it out and saw it. And even Sima Lu came out and said, like, they could be something we explore in the future. You've got an opportunity there to build up an actual, true, proper romance that isn't just shoehorned in, that gives Katie her own agency, makes her her own character. And it could be something that, like, maybe in the third film, it doesn't pay off until then. But it seems like Marvel are doubling down on, no, let's just keep them friends. 
And it's just like, okay, you can go that route. Yes, men and women can just be friends. Not every female character has to be a romantic interest. But like, I feel like the MC was just fumbling the ball. And it's like, the romances they should be shutting down, they're keeping going. And the romances they should be looking at, oh, this is something we, sh we should do. They're just ignoring and, and pushing aside. So I do think generally within cinema, yeah, I, I, I think it, it's portrayed quite poorly and as a certain filmmaker said today they're not fucking yes Just they're not fucking right <laughs> steven soderbergh with his comments could not have come at a better time during this podcast there's not enough fucking going on in superheroes and my instant reaction to that well he obviously hasn't watched the boys um oh. and he better watch out for season three because we're getting hero gasm oh god Oh, I won't go into that. God. If you know, you know. I <laughs> Let's know. <move. laughs> I know. I know all too well. <laughs> the name says it all, though. It does, but it doesn't. You have no idea. Just if you want, if you want to, if you're brave enough, just oh. go on Google and type in the boys' herogasm and uh, go on the images I tab. Get to <laughs> don't don't uh, do what I did and read every single boys' comic and each of their spin-offs in one weekend sitting. It'll ruin. It'll ruin you. It's quite. It's quite I had to break it up in chunks because there was times where I was like, "Whoa, okay, that's enough for today." I'm ruined. Uh, <laughs> I'm a broken person. I can't look at humanity the same way again. In the boys' case, uh, romance is portrayed uh, grotesquely. I have to say, except except, but with with Annie and he Huey and um, Huey, yeah, that's a great relationship. But in general, yeah, I, I agree with you guys that I think. Comics, there's just so much out there that it's it all depends on who's writing and what story they're doing, and it, it just fluctuates in how it's portrayed. I think generally, though, with comics, comics now is a lot better at handling romances, I think, than they were in the past. Uh, that is because, and this is no fault to the creators, it's just the way the world was at the time. It was primarily uh, men writing these comics, writing these stories, and sometimes their portrayal of the female characters... Uh, was always in service of the male characters. Um, not all of them. You know, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, and Jack Kirby at Marvel created some wonderful female characters, uh, but there was still some occasions where, you know, you could see what was going on here. And again, that's no fault to them. I think by and large now it's handled a lot better because it's a lot more diverse, the comic book writers, a lot of more women involved. Um, but with movies um, and TV shows, I still think... Again, like the older stuff, when I think back to like the Richard Donner Superman films or like the early Batman films, it's more of a focus in those films, I think. And I think what's, what lets them down these days is that if you're going to introduce a romance, I think commit to it. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, like I said, I think it's important for this character and the journey they're going on uh, with this romantic connection or even not romantic. It could be platonic as we saw with um, Shang-Chi and um, Aquafina's character, Katie. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's important to develop that wherever it goes. Um, and I think the problem with the MCU in particular is that they just don't develop it. Uh, and it just becomes a thing, a plot device. Uh, in that case, I think it's handled not very well in modern thing. And I think the problem with it is that it's not the focus. Um, you either give it the focus or you don't do it at all, in my opinion. That's how I think it's portrayed, and it's getting better. I think in times that, it, but um, so we have different approaches of handling romance. We already mentioned Superman; like it was like I think 
from the first pages, like all the kids were obviously in love with his strength. He can leap bounds and, you know, all this sorts of wonderful stuff. But again, it goes back to his relationship with Lois Lane that it was that relationship that brought made him human, that brought him down to earth, that made him connect with us in a way. And then we go on to Richard Donner's Superman film, which is, I think, it's way more of a romance film than an action film. I think the central plot, the central themes of it is all focused on Clark's relationship with Lois Lane. Like, it's the believability between their um, romantic chemistry as well. It's all That's all cent- centered around the film. And, you know, it, the whole thing at the end is because she died. So he had to go and turn back time by spinning around the, the world and stuff. So it's incredibly powerful. And I think that's why it's the relationship within superheroes. And because it has a lot of the tropes of damsel in distress. But at the same time, Lois Lane is such a kick-ass character that she's only a damsel in distress because she herself puts herself in those dangerous situations. It's not like it just happens to her. She's in the wrong place at the wrong time, and here comes the hero to save her. She's a reporter. She puts herself in these situations, and then Superman obviously comes and saves her, and he's like, Lois, how many times have I told you? And it, <laughs> you know, he does the whole thing. So, well, Laura, what do you think of like this? archetype for the relationship because you see this a lot in the superheroes this is based off superman and lois's relationship the damsel in distress um but it's never quite gone up to this level because i think of lois's agency compared to all the other women we've seen come after her i think i can imagine like marvel have tried many times to do this like whole lois lane type female love interest but I'll be honest, I haven't seen like the Richard Donner Superman film. Superman's never really been my thing. I know I'm going to get a lot of grief for it, but after recently watching Man of Steel, I did think uh, Lois Lane is just another damsel in distress. But until you pointed out how you know she's a journalist, she puts herself in those positions, their positions, it made me realise just how much of like a strong character she actually is. Like she risks her life, like in these moments, and you know Superman just happens to be there every time, but. With a lot of Marvel's love interests, pretty much most of them are all just a generic damsel in distress. There's no, they're not like the strong, like Lois Lane type characters. And I feel like Marvel have missed the mark many times to create a replica of Lois Lane without, you know, their copy paste, basically. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Tom? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, like you're not going to get any argument from me that like L- Lois and Clark are the you know, they're the archetype, they're the, the blueprint, as as Twitter loves saying at the moment. Um, and yeah, Richard Donner's Superman is... It, it, I actually think I, I would agree with you that it is probably primarily a, a love story. And I think it is done so well. And as you said, like Christopher Reeve and Margaret Kidd just had insane chemistry. And it really felt like the Lois and I like Clark Pink very much, Lois. Yes. And... <laughs> um, what I also do love is like we mentioned about like Lois putting herself in danger as a reporter. It's also worth mentioning that when she tried to get her first interview with Superman in the comics, she did so by jumping off a building so he would come and catch her. And like as soon as he catches her, she's just like, so Superman, he's my recorder. Uh, so what's your deal? What's uh, what's happening? And he's just like, what the fuck are you doing, woman? Um, so I, I love Lois. And like I think she's gotten better as a character as the years have gone by, as we're having like more diverse writers, more female writers. And just even more male writers who actually like at least somewhat know what they're doing when writing women. 
And she has so many just like awesome moments throughout the comics where it's just sometimes, sometimes she is scarier than Superman. Um, like, like, I mean, like she would happily put herself between Superman and like Doomsday. I'm pretty sure she did in the death of Superman, like animated film. She I, did. Yeah. So like that's the kind of woman she is. So she is. Yeah, she is up there. And I do kind of agree the Marvel They've never quite made the lowest lane type, especially in the films. I feel like they try and do that, but fail. I feel like in the comics, though, with Spider-Man, they found their own niche with sort of characters like Gwen Stacy and MJ. MJ especially is a great character because her whole characterization in the early days is not only that she wants to be an actress, but like even in her personal life, she's like constantly wearing a mask. She's never like who she actually is. She's always putting on some act and it takes her relationship with Peter, bring that out of her. And I think that throughout the years, MJ is another character that she's had so many strong moments and I think she's had like a lot of agency. She's a very different character to Lois Lane, but I'd say that that's probably like the closest Marvel have come to creating a character that's like that iconic when it comes to like in terms of romance with their respective superheroes. Um, Although clearly Joe Quesada didn't think so. Um, You know, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into that because I'll just get mad again at one more day. And that fucking, you know, I'm just, no. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Batman Batman and Lois Lane. What am I on about? Superman and Lois Lane. (laughs) Uh, That's happened before though. (laughs) It it has. Also, I'm really, I'm just going to say this now. I'm really mad that the new 52 gave us Superman and Wonder Woman when really it should be Batman and Wonder Woman. I am Wonder Bats. I am Wonderbat till I die. Wonderbat, you know, Wonderbat is a is a second ship for me. I, I'm still Team Batcat. You know what I mean? That's no. You know what? Catwoman has dealt with Bruce Wayne's shit long enough. It's time for her to go back into a sapphic relationship where she's going to be fucking happy. Oh, but but Tom King, Tom King did so much for me the injury for that. Reason. I mean, well, on that, well, let's get into Batman then. So I think Batman, on the other hand, is a dick. Uh, is a, a, a very he handles relationships and romance very differently. Fuck <laughs> so that would man. Handle them as you would expect any single bachelor who is very traumatized with his life. Like, um, like I think what with Batman he has more of like a a James Bond type of element to him, where you know with each film or even every story with Batman you get a, a new. Like with James Bond, you get the new Bond girl, you know, that's the thing. And you kind of get that with Batman in the sense of like, yeah, he does have on and off relationships with Catwoman uh, and and other characters. But he's still, you know, as a playboy, as the Bruce Wayne, he <laughs> he likes having a lot of one night stands. Uh, Tom, do you think he's just playing the act or do you think he's secretly loving it? Um, I... I... It's very difficult. It depends which like sort of interpretation of Batman I'm looking at. I think if I take him as Grant Morrison's Batman, then I just like wholly believe that just like he recognizes that he does occasionally need to have sex in order to just like, you know, function as a human being, get some of that pent up energy out. Um, but I just don't think there's really much room in his life for anything else other than Batman. I mean, like. Even with his kids, it's just like, oh, yeah, we'll have some happy family times after eight hours of training in the Batcave. Dodge this batarang. Um, It's just he doesn't have. You almost killed me. Yeah. Good. Get up. (laughs) Walk it off. Um, He just doesn't have room in his life for anything that is in Batman, which is why kind of the relationship with Catwoman keeps coming back and keeps working, because ultimately she's one of the very few people who understands that. 
and she gets that like it's not like oh he's bruce wayne by day he's batman by night he's batman all the fucking time bruce wayne is i know it's like a cliche take but bruce wayne is the mask um that's always how i've interpreted it obviously some interpret like i think in batman the animated series they actually made a bit more of a distinction between the two i mean you've got mask of the phantasm when you've got that famous moment of i didn't count on being happy that is so fucking batman right there it's just the fact that even if he does get like some great romance in his life he's just gonna be torn up over it be like oh but what will how will the city cope if i'm having sex tonight oh the horror oh the agony oh i went to meet her parents and now the joke has taken over the fucking docks um that's essentially what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's basically what happens. His He's love- like, look what happens. I take one night off. Yeah, this literally what happens every time. He's just like, no, no, it's too much effort for me to stay in a relationship. Or he looks like he's going to be in a permanent relationship and DC editorial decide, mm, no, we're going to chicken out uh, over that. So no wedding, but you can kill Alfred, apparently. Fuck you, DC. I have a question for you both, if I can like throw one in. What's your opinion? Because nobody ever talks about it on Rachel from the Dark Knight trilogy. I I do like the ultimate like sort of twist that she wasn't going to choose Bruce, um, but then the fact that it's that they just kill her off, and then again because that then drives Bruce's like story for the rest of the trilogy up until Alfred tells him. By the way, it does kind of feel like she's a character that got fridged. Um, it, it, it's and, a, it's and also, I wasn't one. a fan of Katie Holmes's performance in Batman Begins. So, like, I, I, I got a bit more of it in The Dark Knight when uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal played the character. Um, but because I didn't feel anything from the first one, because there was nothing coming from Katie Holmes, I didn't care about that relationship. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, and that I, and like with Tom, I do think that is uh, an example of fridging, you could say. But then this is outside of superheroes. This is more of a critique. uh, And I have very few critiques of Mr. Christopher Nolan. Uh, But it has been, you know, it is a common critique that maybe some of his female characters are not focused enough or don't have the amount of depth that they should. Um, That's just, you know, me and some other people that can see these things in some of his films. Anyway, um, going back to Batman, though, um, Laura, what do you think of Batman? Do you think it's, he's in a healthy position or should we learn to do better? <laughs> I really don't think... Has he ever been in a healthy position? No, no absolutely not. Like, not. Exactly. No, the guy needs therapy. He just sees the... Will he ever go to therapy though? No, like... no. no but, he, but he can use his wealth to make Goth- Gotham a right. better place. I need to throw something at you, Jake, right now. I'm going to find you. <laughs> Yeah, he did use his money, you know. He became Batman and got all this cool there you tech. Go. That's, his That's how he's using his money to help Gotham. Exactly. I shall be a bat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, bless him. I do feel for him. No, we all feel for him. But what do, what do you think of how he handles romance and relationships? It doesn't seem healthy, does it? It doesn't seem something we should aspire to. He handles it very poorly. Like, at times, like I think it depends on the woman, especially with Catwoman. He doesn't always know how to flirt. It's very, yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna take you to prison. Oh, do me, Batman. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Handcuffs. Like, <laughs> like when he's Batman, he comes across as a hell of a lot more nervous with the ladies than he is when he's, you know, Bruce Wayne. Which you'd expect. Yeah, uh, you'd expect maybe the other way around, but yeah. 
I think yeah. it's uh, Catwoman does that to him though, and I think um, out of all superhero relationships, Batman and Catwoman has always been my favorite because it's always been the you're perfect for each other, but for 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 reasons you just can't be together. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those on and off situations that you hope they should be together, but when they are together, shit goes down. It all falls apart and you wonder why you even started in the first place. And then when they're apart, they come back together and you're like, oh, but I love these two together. It's it's this thing where it's just on and off and like they're perfect for each other, but they're also destructive for each other because neither of them can change. That's the problem, especially Bruce. He just can't change at all. He's so stubborn, so single-minded in his mission that he, like, like Tom said... Anybody got time for that? He's, you know, I can't have sex. I've got to stop Mr. Freeze from, you know, freezing Gotham and stuff like that. Yeah. So, see, I didn't, I didn't like um, Christian Bale's Batman and Anne Hathaway's Catwoman together. I, I just, I didn't think that they worked or that there was wasn't really any chemistry. But the second they cast Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, I knew it was like it's going to be like absolutely perfect. Like her Robert Pattinson match made in heaven right there i'm sorry but that is oozing horniness coming out from those two like <laughs> like, I, like i genuinely just watching the trailers and images you're like i can feel the sexual ch- tension yeah I, every time i watch the trailer and, and it's just like uh, oh come on vengeance i'm like right i need a cold shower or three <laughs> uh, <laughs> whoo but matt Re- matt reeves really just took a just took a page out of tim burton's book when he did Batman and Catwoman and Batman Returns. Like for me, that's one of, after The Dark Knight, that's my favorite Batman film. Um, and because I just think it's a horny gothic fantasy film. Because um, it, it, the again, like the sexual tension, the horniness is just dripping off these two. And some of the stuff they say, I mean, even with Penguin and all the stuff that he's saying with his little flipper and it gets kind of creepy at times. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I just found that relationship to be, I don't know, there's just something primal about it, animalistic about that relationship. <laughs> That's probably what makes it sell, to be honest. I mean, it does. And it, Michelle Pfeiffer as well, like, you know, mm. hearing her roar, I guess. I was literally just thinking then, could you imagine the MCU doing like a horny film? like? No, I can't. Like, I can't imagine like, literally, it. Literally, like, oh my God, no. It'd be so That's, cringy. That's why, like, honestly, I want them to, like, bring the X-Men in as soon as possible because it'll fix that. Hell, I think they should just bring back the Inhumans because if they did the Inhumans right, that would be hella horny. Oh, they'd be so horny. That's cousin fucking horny. So wait, I think that's perfect segue into like Marvel then, because because I I think um, Marvel handles romance kind of differently to DC, at least with the two characters that we've spoken about. Um, yeah, initially. they really get the incest right at Marvel. Yeah, they they get that. Well, I think. Like, very much how the characters are portrayed in general, like with DC's characters, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but the DC characters are like mythic gods and the Marvel characters are like real humans, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, But you do, I do kind of get that vibe with the relationships as well. Like, as much as we gush over Lois and Clark, it's still a very romanticized fantasy element to it, you know, almost like unworldly, unreal, like you're like... Like it's impossible for two people to love each other this much, <laughs> you know. It's it's one of those things. Uh, but I think Marvel get a lot right in the terms of bringing it really down to reality. 
because uh, that's what they were known for for when they first came out. Like, obviously, science fiction world building, but, you know, they really went into Peter Parker's numerous girlfriends, uh, Mr. Fantastic and Sue, mm. um, Hulk, Hulk, Hulk and Betty Ross. You know, it's ingrained, really, in the Marvel method, especially in the early days. Uh, and I think one that we're, we've already sort of spoken about is Peter Parker and Mary Jane. Like, I think that, in a way... As if if Lois and Clark is like the archetype, the one that started it all, I think Peter Parker and MJ sort of pioneered it into a new generation and changed the way we looked at superhero relationships. Uh, what do you think, Tom? I know you've been reading a lot of Spider-Man lately, so um, yeah. Like, I mean, one thing you'll learn from reading early Spider-Man comics is that Peter Parker has mad game, even when he doesn't mean to. Uh, just the amount of women he has falling over him. And half the time he's just like, look, I'm dating Betty. Can you please stop sniffing after me? Because Betty's getting mad at me. Hey, um, Tiger. Uh, I've, ooh, I, I love that. I love the whole thing of building up MJ because like, I'm pretty sure MJ was first mentioned in like episode, episode, what am I on about? Issue like, oh, I don't know, 13, 14, something like that. You don't actually get to see her face until like about 30 issues later. And like she's constantly met because Aunt May is like, oh, Peter, like uh, my neighbor, Mrs. Watson, she's got this daughter that you'd absolutely love. And like he's always got some reason why he can't do it or she's ill. There's even like some moments where it's just you do see MJ, but her, her face is obscured behind like a branch or something. And then when you finally get to see it with face it, Tiger, you hit the jackpot. It's just like, oof, this is powerful. This is clearly going to be a very, very important character. I can't understand half of what she's saying because she just speaks in so much like 60 specific slang um so half the time i'm reading her words and i'm like this is english but i don't this i, I don't, can't read this i can't understand what you're saying but they did a great job in like building that relationship up and i think they also did a great job of building up peter and gwen at the same time because where i'm at basically gwen definitely likes peter peter definitely likes gwen but she's off with harry and he's kind of with mj getting a bit pissed off with her but he's like she's a hot redhead so um and like i think people when they talk about peter and mj do forget how important peter and gwen stacy was peter and mj wouldn't have happened in the same way and peter parker wouldn't have been the man he was when him and mj properly got together if he hadn't gone through that relationship with gwen stacy first obviously very sad that at the end you know she dies spoiler alert for people who don't know gwen stacy dies um but yeah, I, th I think like Peter's had loads of very important relationships in the comics. And I think he's one of the heroes that like best exemplifies romance in superheroes because he's he's done it all. He's done the whole juggling two girls thing. He's done the whole being faithful to one girl thing. He's been a homewrecker. He's like, you know, slept with his best mate's wife. He's slept with just women everywhere. And just all the time, though, it does feel very authentic and very rarely forced. Apart from that time, they introduced Silk and they were just like, well, these are two spider people. Um, all of a sudden, they're very horny for each other because of the spideriness. That was weird. And I'm still not okay with it. But otherwise, Spider-Man and romance has been written very, very well. And him and MJ, I mean, their love was so powerful that when Marvel were trying to think of a way to split them up, the best idea they could come up with was the devil wipes out their entire relationship. That's how strong their fucking love was. They had to get Mephisto in to justify them somehow not being together anymore. Ooh, don't bring Mephisto up. I'm bringing Mephisto up because I'm bringing up one more day, even though I said I wouldn't earlier. I'm still <laughs> mad about it. But yeah, um, I think 
Peter and MJ are the end game for Peter especially, which is why it really annoys me right now that Marvel keep like dangling it in front of our noses and then being like, ah, oh, but they're breaking up again. It's like, just give us what we've been fucking asking for. No one wanted Peter and MJ to split up. No one wanted that. Even though I was very happy to get some Peter and Mockingbird content, um, that was actually quite fun. Uh, but yeah, we need Peter MJ back. We need it back now. Feige, I know you're listening. I mean, it could happen. Could happen. I mean, I I think, but I want I want to go further a bit back though because um, Laura, I want to get your take on. You've seen the Sam Raimi Spider Man films with Tobey Maguire. I have. Yeah. So, like in, I'm gonna maybe this might be a hot take. I'm gonna say that that relationship between Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane. I think could be the best superhero relationship we've seen on screen thus far. I don't know. Mm. I just think how like there's a bit of a bittersweetness to that romance. Um, like, and it was presented in the comics, but this is why I think Raimi gets so, so much right within his Spider-Man films that it's part of the romance that questions his responsibility of being a superhero and a boyfriend. Do you know what I mean? And it gave, for me anyway, like an adult reflection of a relationship in a superhero movie. Um, like, but they still have their own journeys and they're all going through their different paths and it's just, it's tangled through the middle. And I think it's, however you think of Spider-Man 3 and how that sort of finishes off, it's, it's, I think it's still committing to like the love that they have for each other across all three films. I think it all works. Um, am I left field here or what do you think? I, I don't, can't think of one in recent memory that, does it as well as that one no my mind's just currently gone blank because i'm that busy think, thinking about um peter and mj from sam raimi's trilogy <laughs> do, do you think it's like one of the the bigger ones within superhero movies and stuff at the minute i say it is because it's one of those relationships that i on twitter that i see a lot of people go back to and refer to that relationship a hell of a lot it is it's kind of crazy, like considering the fact that what that trilogy started, what, 20 years ago, was it now? Yeah, 2002, yeah. Yeah, and people still go back to it, even though there's like all these MCU films, you know, there's all the DC universe. That relationship is still the strongest one out of all these other films. And I'll be honest, I do like their relationship. At times, I really don't. And that's partly Peter's fault because of the way, obviously, he treats MJ. But I know it's to protect her, to hide the whole Spider-Man identity. I do want to slap him at times because I'm like, just go for the girl. Like, she's right there. Like, you, she loves you. Just go for the bloody girl. Like, it does get me very frustrated, that relationship, I will admit. Um, I'm just very happy to know in No Way Home that they did stay together, that they are still together. So that does make me very happy, more content. Thing is, though, Raimi, Peter, MJ, it is great, and it possibly is the standard for movies, even though there's maybe, like, a few times I think, like, MJ isn't written the best, but I think overall, as as you said, Laura, it is something people come, keep coming back to. Uh, I think a, a rather underrated romance that should be considered a, 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 along the same level as Raimi, Peter, MJ is, of course, Beverly Switzler and Howard's the Duck from George Lucas's Howard the Duck movie in 1986. I think we need to talk about that, you know, human woman and a duck. That's, I mean, you know, that's a love that, that has crossed boundaries right there. Jake, what do you think of Howard the Duck and Beverly? They even have a sex scene in that movie. 
Hang on, how were the duck and, and Darcy got married in What If? That's oh, true. Oh, fucking hell, they did, didn't they? <laughs> they did. Jesus I Christ. I had to bring that up. I've literally just thought yeah. of it. So yeah. what do we think about that type of romance? <laughs> is it... I like it. I, like, is I it, really like that. Is it bestiality or... <laughs> <laughs> they work, though, really well. They're both really different and really quirky. This is, so... this is you need question. to watch the Howard the Duck film from the 80s. I really yeah. don't want to. <laughs> But there's literally there's a very quick shot where you can actually see they went through the effort of putting tits on one of the ducks. If you freeze the frame, you can literally see bare duck titties. And I was just like, they went through the effort of making this, of doing this. George Lucas saw this and went, yes. Yeah, that's going to be great. <laughs> this is my new style. George ones. Lucas approved. This is canon. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, so we, we've talked about the bit of the past, how they've handled it. And the portrayals, but how do you think it's evolved over the years? Like, um, Laura, I'll go to you first. How do you think romance is handled now in superhero movies? Like, we've sort of covered a bit of it that it's not really focused on, and it's sort of to the side, but what do you think? It's it's hit and miss still, I think. Um, some Marvel films get it right. And some Marvel films, like more recent ones, get it wrong. So, like, before we even did this podcast, I mentioned to you about Eternals. The main, like, you know, relationship of that film is um, Cersei and Icarus. They have no chemistry whatsoever. I thought that it was such a dull, boring couple. Like, they just didn't seem right for each other at all. And it just, the whole thing between them just seems so cringy and off. Yet... You've got in the background, you've got Druig and Makari and Gilgamesh and Thena, who, oh, I could like literally gush about them all day, but I'm not going to because I don't want to take over this entire podcast. But they deserve all the screen time going because the chemistry between them is incredible. Like, we literally get like the tiniest little snippets and everybody's like literally begging for more. Everybody on the internet is begging for like series based just on these characters. Icarus and Cersei pretty much got swept under the rug. It's like, forget about them during Macaria, like the thing. No, I mean, hell, Icarus had more sexual tension with Thena than he did with Cersei in that movie. Okay, that scene, that scene where he says about he, like he didn't want to fight her and she says she's always wanted to, the sexual tension in that scene. Yeah. Yeah it, yeah, it comes off pretty hard. More hard than it comes off with Cersei, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, like, now, like, I think it's it's a real struggle, I think. Like, uh, the only one I think that has really gone all the way and done it really well is Steve and Peggy, you know, Cap and um, Captain Carter. I think mm. it, it's, you know, from... I think she was a great character in First Avenger and how it was all handled there. And then how it... In the middle, it sort of gets a bit wonky with the Sharon stuff. It's a bit weird. Uh, <laughs> it, no kidding, it's weird. Yeah, it, it is very strange. But I think they do wrap a lovely bow on it in Endgame. You know, with go, him going back and all of that sort of stuff. Do You don't like that? No, because everything that Cap's done has been for Bucky. So the Winter Soldier... In the end, he was fighting, like, you know, and wanted to help his best friend. Civil War all happened because of his best friend. And, you know, he gets him to Wakanda, gets him the help he needs. And then, you know, Infinity War happens, Bucky dusts. 
you know, it's the first person we see dust and Steve's reaction to it. End game happens, you know, the reunited and then he just buggers off, leaves him to go back with Peggy and leaves him in the real world on his own. I mean, we're going to get into friends is that we're going to get more into an end end game discussion here. But my take on it is that, yeah, he's done all that. And for once, he's going to be selfish because he deserves it. Uh, that's just my take on it. <laughs> but um, I think that work, that works quite well. You know, that I had a date is just so heartbreaking for me. Um, but I think by and large, like Tony and Pepper, you get moments of it. But I think they're too far, they're too few and far between that there's not much growth, I think, there. Like, you all of a sudden hear, oh, we're getting married. You're like, oh, what? Wh when did this happen? They're like, oh, is, oh, is she pregnant? Oh, maybe she's pregnant. He's like, you know, it's it's all these sorts of things. Um, and then let's not <laughs> talk about what happened with Jane Foster. Hopefully she gets redeemed in up uh, Tyker's upcoming Love and Thunder. Very excited for that. Uh, but yeah, like the way that they sort of, in the first Thor film, they do make it like this Shakespearean whirlwind romance, you know, that sort of thing. But then she becomes a plot device in the second one and then just sidelines, you know. And I just think it's... Why, is there room for romance now in superheroes because these films are just so huge, you know, with the grand scale and all of it? I think, um, again, it depends on the superhero. Because Marvel have proved that you don't need a romantic love interest in a film. So, like, Captain Marvel, it was the friendship of Carol and Maria. Like, Shang-Chi, it was him and Katie. And it does work. So, I don't think they're just scrap love interests completely because you do, you do need them. There's that many amazing characters you could bring in as, like, love interests. But I think that they cannot do it as much maybe like tone it down a little bit like stop using women as plot devices please no i'm i'm all for it there tom what are your thoughts on that uh, and how do you think it's romances now in modern day superhero films and tv i, I feel like it, it is just going backwards in a sense um just because like, like i said i feel like there's just a real reluctance to have any form of relationship in these superhero movies now like as in like a romantic one like i do agree you don't need it every time you don't need it in every film and you definitely don't need it if it's just to make a woman a plot device um but i do think it is important that like you do have some stories like maybe have one or two mcu films where like sure it's a big action set piece but maybe actually make the romance the main driving point of it and also just make sure that the i mean hell give us more lgbt content as well to be honest yeah, I, I I also want to just like come in and agree with Laura about uh, the whole Cap and Peggy thing. Um, I think the relationship and the romance between them would have been a lot stronger if Cap had to just come to deal with the terms that he couldn't be with her again. It feels like such a cop out to just be like, oh, it's okay, you can just travel back in time, leave Bucky in in the current time on his own. It's just just like as Laura said, like he goes through all this effort to like not just make sure Bucky is safe, but to get him to like a mental level where he is who he was again. And then he's just like, yeah, bye. And like, I do get it. He does have the right to make a selfish decision. Um, but just because someone has the right to make a selfish decision doesn't mean they should make that selfish decision. And I do think that like, sure, they were trying to find a way for Chris Evans's cap to be written out because obviously his contract was up and all this, that and the other. But I just feel like it could have been done a lot better and just as well as the fact that 
In the comics, Peggy Carter is not really much of a thing. It's only recently, like, they're apparently, like, doing a Captain Carter, like, comic now. And everyone is just like, you're only doing this because of, like, what if. And it was the fact that they had a comic a couple of years ago where they were like, yeah, oh, Peggy, not, Peggy Carter's not, back alive. Not, and no one gave a shit to Peggy Carter. Like, Sharon Carter is what, who Steve should be with if he should be with anyone. And I just feel like the MCU kind of just flubbed it in that regard and i i think as well just as, as i said it feels like a bit of a cop-out i feel like it would have meant a lot more if cap actually had to like come to accept that yeah sure he had that date with peggy but now he's he's not in the 1940s anymore he can't have that date with peggy and i don't know it just, it just feels like going backwards if anything um and i do feel like superhero films are doing that as i said just going a bit backwards and they seem just scared of touching romance because like there are all these things about like we've got to write the female character well we've got to give her our own agency what if we write it in a way that people aren't going to like what if people just call this character a damsel in stress um but i think the mcu is in a place now where they can just put some more focus on that and make the mcu sexier and hornier started with the x-men <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean I agree with you. I think movie studios and writers and directors, everyone's being a bit more careful and not just not even not in a bad way, just being more aware of the situations and the history of how women have been portrayed in these in all film, you know, in regards to plot devices and uh, a term coined by Gail Simone. This is particularly more in comics, but the term fridging, where you kill off a female character to move the plot forward for the male protagonist, you know. You know, asking the question, is this a problem in stories? It's it's a dumb question because, of course it is. You know what I mean? We've seen it time and time again in comics, books, film, TV. Um, the only question, the issue I have with it is that uh, at what point do we draw? Because, you know, when you're writing a story and, you know, screenwriting 101, um, it's part of the tale of writing a story where the main character, whether that be a man or a woman, has to go through some form of loss. Do you know what I mean? It's part. It's you know. It's part of the technique of storytelling. If you lose something, it's the audience watching the story gravitate more towards the character because you know bring you know all that sort of stuff. You know, screenwriting one hundred and one. Um, so, at what point do you then cut corners with storytelling um, in favor of like you know, oh, let's not touch that because we're we're worried about how we'll handle it. Like, do you think it's better? to m at least make a story decision or in a way the way the mcu do it which is also equally just as bad i think is let's just forget about them you know and don't bring them up again you know what i mean like we have with betty ross and um um jane foster and stuff like that you know with betty ross we had an interesting angle there she could have come in she could have continued but then they decided to take this weird route with natasha which didn't work for me um yeah very strange so laura what, what do you think of this situation i think it's a really complex question because like wh where's the line how do you handle this oh god it is a complex question um honestly it's quite it actually is a really difficult one to answer think trying to like think about like a decent logical answer well, forget about decent logical. Go with your gut. <laughs> yeah, this, this is capes, cows, and masks. There's no decency in this podcast. <laughs> I think 
I think one thing that thinking about it like that could help is if women were wrought by women especially like I off the top of my head I can't really think of many Marvel films that have been written by a woman at all I think apart from Chloe Zhao and was Black Widow I'm gonna yes and and, uh, Black Widow as well yeah yeah because all all the women in like Black Widow and Eternals were like strong dependent women which we can all get behind and that none of them were used as plot devices they all had their own interesting backstory they all had their own place in that film whereas especially in like the early mcu days phase one like you said betty ross jane foster originally they were just plot devices and you can tell they are written by men that's i think that's one of the biggest issues and it could easily be resolved by hiring more female writers or at least looking at how females actually write female characters. Don't just go for the typical male gaze view. God, I'm really going back to my dissertation here. <laughs> <laughs> I did my whole dissertation in regarding like uh, females in films and how they were like portrayed. Especially, I can't remember the exact point I made because I did my dissertation like over three years ago. I made some point how the way... The Amazonians looks in um, Wonder Woman and in Justice League, like their costumes. You could tell how one was done by a woman, one was done by a male because of how they looked and how sexualized they were. And that really bugs me. And it still bugs me to this day, like the sexualization of women, because it's all done by a man. No offense to you two, by the way. I'm really slated. No, like, no, no. Many. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I really. It's fair. It's, it's fair. Yeah. We're aware of that. And I, I agree with you. I think another perfect example is um, um, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, where you saw how yes. she was portrayed in Suicide Squad, the first one by David Ayer. To oh, then that was how horrendous. We, yeah, and then we see her in, in a much better superior film, in my opinion, uh, Birds of Prey, uh, which is written and directed by women. It's a total different take on the character and portrayal of the character. But even in like, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad... She's not as sexualized as David Ayer. That's true. Yeah, and she that's literally true. has sex in that movie as well. And yet you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's but true. No, yeah, but that's that's the, the thing. It's like, you know, there are decent, like, you know, male writers, directors out there who get it right. But majority of the time, again, women are used for males' pleasure. That, that's the sad truth. And, and yeah, mm. I'd say James Gunn is an exception because if you look at the Guardians films as well, like um, the way he portrays Gamora and that relationship with Peter Quill, I think that's handles really well. And then he's also just, he handles relationships in general really well, I think. He's just... Yeah, even though like Mantis and Drax have got like this really weird like kind of relationship. I kind of like like the idea of those two together. It's like the weirdest combination. But they have this Drax like... Drax wouldn't weird... agree with you though. <laughs> No, he really wouldn't. But they have like this cutest like little relationship and that's all because of James Gunn. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think we need more women writers in these rooms, um, writing these stories, directing these stories. But at the same time, if men are going to do it, if men are going to portray women characters and have love stories, um, do better and be more aware, I think. And also get a woman's take. You know, that's that's why you have different opinions. That's why you have producers and, you know, and all and people around you. And also listen to the actors, listen to the women that you're working with and their take and their portrayal of what they believe, um, how women should be portrayed in these films. 
It's like the, all the females in Black Widow. Like, Black Widow's outfit has always been, like, the low V-neck, like, the zip, like, halfway down her chest. As she's been in more films over the years, it's like it gets higher until she's in Black Widow, completely covered up, saying with Elena, like, full vest, the whole lot, which is, like, which is what we want. We don't want to be sexualized in every single film. No, I agree. And I think they also handled that with uh, Kate Bishop in the recent Hawkeye as well. Yes, yeah, I have to agree. Like her costume was incredible, like basic but brilliant. And and um, as we spoke about Katie as well in in Shang Chi, like obviously that's a platonic relationship. But I think like I think that is the future of romance in superhero stories. I think we're. I don't want to go backwards as I think we have been. Re- I think I think we should commit to more relationships, but I think it's going to change. Like um, you mentioned, Stephen Bucky. You know that is a relationship that's like a bromance. You know that's a it's a different type of relationship and one that we not according to the internet. <laughs> well, not quite, well, and and that's one that we've also followed throughout the years. Um, you know, I don't like the films, but there are a large portion of people who do like the Venom films and that sort of weird homoerotic relationship between Eddie Brock and Venom. You know, that's a thing at the minute. Um, and, you know, we're going to get more LGBTQ relationships. I think we're, we're going into more platonic relationships. Do you think, uh, Tom, that's the future now of romance in superheroes? Do you think that's like the next evolution of this? Um, I, I do definitely think we're going to start getting like, well, I, at least I hope we're going to get more LGBT representation in our superhero media, especially the often maligned T of that. Um, I do also think that that is definitely something they want to be pushing forward with. Um, I do agree with you. I reckon they'll probably look to do more things like the Steve Bucky bromance or the like Eddie Venom weird whatever you want to call that manse um going on but i do think like like i said there there is a time and a place for just like the platonic stuff there's a time and a place for just bromances there is also the time and place for just like pure animalistic um i need you now sort of thing <laughs> like with batman and catwoman like with every single fucking x-men because they'll be fucking every single x-men um and yeah i, th- I think it's I think it's so long as like they don't go the route of just like oh let's just let's just not bother with romance let's let's just move on to all these other types of relationships uh, it's 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 like not safe enough to do romance I think like no 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 just make sure you're doing it right and that you're doing the characters involved uh you know you're you're not doing them a disservice um and yeah like I said just give us more LGBT content because God knows the MCU has been fucking starved for it up until like Eternals. Um, that that's what kind of annoyed me as well is the fact that the I I thought the Eternals representation with um Fastos and his family was absolutely great, and yeah, I feel like Loki's one line of him like going like, oh no, I'm I I like princes as well. I feel like that got way more attention from people in terms of like how Marvel's been handling representation. But maybe that's just my little bubble of Twitter that I've been looking at. I Who think knows? no, I I think that's I, th- I think that's fair. I think it's because. Uh, just as fans we have more of a connection to loki you know we, we've been with him f- that we've been with them for t- nearly 10 years now no more than 10 years tw- tw- no it is it's more yes yeah, 11 years damn good 11 lord. years uh good lord so yeah it's so i think for us as a community uh, seeing that oh you know that it was more of a thing while fastos has a new character and you know they and i think what they did in the film was great but because of time restraints i didn't think 
commit, you know, have time with this relationship. I don't think we got enough time for that relationship to fully develop. Do you know what I mean? In terms of how it ended. Um, I, I wanted more of it because everything I saw was great, but I wanted more of it. Commit to it. But again, it was already a long film. So, See, Marvel's like representation, like LGBT, like relationship wise has been like very poor. Obviously, we got Fastos and Eternals, like his little family. But before that, like literally the first like main gay character we got on screen was Joe Russo. I always get the Russo. Brother. Yeah, Joe Russo. <laughs> I always get them mixed up. Um, his character in the support group, like that was such a bad move for Marvel. Honestly, like, and then not even on camera, it was like confirmed by Tessa Thompson how Valkyrie is bisexual. And it's like, why couldn't we have had that on camera and seen that first? Anybody wants Valkyrie and Captain Marvel to be a thing. Though I have seen some crazy ships like in between my time on tumblr from like 2012 through to like 2017 yeah that was a dark time for the internet <laughs> yeah no kidding i've seen some very crazy ships like pretty much everybody shipped loki with like every yeah. single avenger and, and just right but I, I know i've talked about incest on the show today but i can't believe i have to talk about it again just the whole like the supernatural fandom and sam and dean winchester they're brothers they are brothers. Yeah, but everybody shipped Loki and thought, I know they're adopted, yeah. but even still, it's like, they're brothers. It's like, who, sh- who, guys. who is doing this? Who is shipping people these people? On the internet. Also, right, I can't believe I brought I brought up the CW verse romance earlier. I forgot to even mention that Barry and Iris in that universe were like basically set up as like foster brother and sister. Like Barry ends up moving in with them at a very, like after his mother dies and his father goes to prison at like nine or ten. And, I like, thought that was weird. Yeah. Yeah, like it's, it's weird. weird. It's, it's weird. weird. It's essentially, you, a sister you just gotta bro. Be, yeah, you gotta be I mean, careful with that. Uh, what about Loki and Sylvie though? Same person. Yeah, but it's you know it's different timelines. We don't act. See, here's the thing: because we don't actually know the true nature of Sylvie. Maybe she is actually literally Odin and Frigga's daughter. And obviously, like, did we get confirmation in season one of Loki that she's from Jotunheim originally? Any confirmation? No, I don't think we did. So but... we don't actually know what form of variant she is. So, like, she could literally be an actual daughter. Maybe that was the thing that, like, the TVA were like, well, well no, 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 none of this because of the Jotunheim stuff. So. He definitely has feelings for her and loves her. I don't think she is, feels the same way about him. I genuinely think she kissed him at the end of Loki. Spoilers, by the way. Just to basically get rid of him, basically, and send him back to the TVA. I feel like that the whole reason it happens i feel like she does have like she she definitely cares for him at least a little bit because of her oh, reaction yeah. after he initially got pruned mm. um but i think that just her head is just so messed up from years on the run fighting the tva that just like much like batman regardless of how she feels there's just no room in her life for that sort of thing that's how i she's interpret a, she's a anyway. damaged character yeah i could <laughs> fix her <laughs> God, let's not do this. I could fix her, Jake. <laughs> says man who is worse. <laughs> <laughs> not this again. Um Laura, what do you think of the future of uh, romance in uh, superhero stories then? Well, I tend to base a lot of mine off the MCU because it's like what I love the most, but like we we have said they did st- take a bit of a step backwards in like the romantic interests. Um did take a step forward with Peter and MJ and then the end of No Way Home happens. So basically we're back to square one again. Um, I think in regards to platonic relationships, though, they are going in the right direction by having more of them because there's been some really good friendships out of like the MCU films. 
But in regards to romance, I want more romance, but at the game time, I don't want more romance because <laughs> they have a tendency to mess it up. I don't want to see Peter Parker, if he comes back, with another love interest. I want him to be with MJ, but I know they've probably set it up for Gwen Stacy to come in, which I know people are like. I, I, I think for. it'll be Felicia Hardy, Black Cat, mm, more so likely. Do I, yeah, I, yeah I col- college years, yeah. yeah. College years is Felicia. I've got a good, I've got a, good uh, a lot of people are pretty much begging for like Gwen Stacy and like to come in. We've done it. it. We've done that. It's happened. Oh, no, I know. I know, but MCU haven't. Because I think um, with the Felicia Hardy, you can get a sort of Batman, Catwoman sort of relationship going there with Spider-Man. Ooh. You're sort of like, oh, you're a villain. <laughs> yeah, what you're do a villain, I do? but like, kind of, yeah, I'd like, I dig it. Um. <laughs> but I dig it. It's kind of sexy, but yeah. I should arrest you. <laughs> yeah. I could, I could go with that, yeah. I feel like Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man would be better for a character like that compared to Tom Holland, though. Is that just because he's got much more sex appeal? <laughs> it's Andrew yeah. Garfield. <laughs> Sorry, to Tom, Tom Holland. Holland but, but he still yeah. looks about 12. Yeah. No offense to him. I think even Tom Holland would agree that, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> like, I kind of expect oh. to like find him outside a shop going, just like, oh, can, can you buy me some alcohol for my, my friends tonight? <laughs> 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 they won't serve me. <laughs> I'm Spider Man oh. and they won't serve me. Poor <laughs> guy. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that's where we're going. We're, we're going to a more focused on platonic relationships, and hopefully, I'm with you, Tom. More LGBTQ plus relationships, um, and like you said, especially focused on the T within that, and some more awareness revolving around yeah. that. Shout out to the Wachowski siblings uh, for their ultimate love story, which is the Matrix. There, I said it, guys. Be haters. Um, <laughs> Right, so let's end this show then. Um, I'm going to end this on a fun note. Uh, Laura, what's your favorite relationship within superheroes? It can be in anything. Like, what's your, the ultimate power, superhero power couple? It used to be Cap and Peggy until Endgame. But after seeing No Way Home, I think it has to be Peter and MJ. So that in, in just in general or specifically Tom Holland and Zendaya? I think in general, because I rewatched all the Spider-Man films before seeing No Way Home. And I have to agree with you, Peter and MJ, in general, are endgame. That's uh, ultimate relationship goals right there. Tom, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, so I think uh, for, for my pick for a uh, best comic book uh, couple, it's uh, got to be the, the ultimate endgame, which is Scott Summers and Emma Frost. Fuck you, Jean Grey. That's controversial. It is controversial. Very controversial. But I'm sorry, Scott and Emma are just, they're they're perfect together, okay? And at the moment, I'm taking every crumb I can in this Krakoa era. Any panel they share together, I'm just like, (sighs) I love them. I love them so much. Fair enough. I think for me, uh, I already said it, but it's it's Batman and Catwoman um, from the many different iterations, like from Tim Burton in that one. It was one of my favorite films and just that oozing horniness as i said coming off it and then recently tom king brought cat catwoman back in a big way and that really focused on their relationship and i love what he did there and it looks like we're getting something similar with um uh the matt reeves as the batman so uh we'll see we'll see what happens there but that's my favorite relationship is is them two um so laura i'll go to you uh this is another fun one uh who do you ship who are t- two people <laughs> who aren't together but should be together? That's <laughs> two superheroes. I oh, like I shipped Cap and Bucky figures. I really did, but that was more like 
in my teens. I I still do to an extent, but I see I do see them more now as brothers. One of my big ships has to be Magneto and Professor X in the X Men like prequels. Like the chemistry is just off the charts. I love them. Oh, they they want to fuck. Oh god, yeah! It wouldn't surprise me if they did at some point. Well, they're both British. Oh, I think there's, I think there's enough there between them that you're like, yeah, something's, something's. They spend a couple of nights alone together. You know, you literally can get lost in either of their eyes. Like, couple of chess games gone one too many wrong, (laughs) and a few drinks, and a few drinks later. Yes, Uh, Tom, how about yourself? Is there a ship that you want to happen? Uh, I'm trying to think of like one other than Wonderbats because obviously I do want Wonderbats to happen because I just I mean that's hap- it's happened before though yeah but I feel I feel like they, they should but it's never like stuck it's, yeah it's I get never it, yeah. stuck and also like it really pissed me off at the Tom King run where basically he touched on why Batman and Wonder Woman would be perfect together but it was in the context of Batman being like oh it's but I want to be with Catwoman and I'm just like no you've just given me what I wanted and then tore it from my hands. Just so cruelly. That's what Tom King does. So you know, no, you know, I'm just I'm going to stick to Wonder Bats because I, I can't think of a, a sh- another ship really that like okay, you know, I mean, I, I guess like I would like them to just fully acknowledge Eddie and Venom as as an actual just just call them a couple. Make sure that they they stay. Yeah, we're in a relationship together. Me and Venom are in a relationship. They eat. They they had a baby together. They've had several babies together. We it's a whole thing. Symbiotes are weird. I'm gonna go with <laughs> Deadpool and Korg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I did not expect that. I at hear all. Deadpool, and I was just like, and Colossus, and then he just went, no, no, <laughs> Korg. Oh, uh, I was expecting like Deadpool and Wolverine or something, not that. Yeah. And Colossus. Um, wow. Oh, oh, good lord! <laughs> His healing factor is going to be at work with that. The thing is, though, I actually I'll ship Deadpool with anyone, I guess, because it's yeah. just kind of funny shipping him. He is just um, he could he would literally go with anybody he, though. How would the duck even? I mean, that's is, the thing. Deadpool would. He, he would. is pansexual. Yeah. I think like he's officially pansexual. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he'll yeah. fuck anything. <laughs> yeah, even the duck. Even the duck. Good. Lord. Uh, so yeah, that'll be. Kind oh, of Deadpool's fun. a bottom. Come on. <laughs> I'm just the duck would out. fuck him. This is going to be how I advertise the episode on Twitter. Do you want to know if Deadpool's a top or a bottom? Find out on this week's <laughs> Kid Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> at best, he's a power bottom. Just at best, at a- best. absolute best. Yeah. Uh, wow, this is getting out of hand. Um, this really is. This, this, this is your fault, Jake. <laughs> we'll slide on past that then. So uh, uh, that's the end of the show then. This has been quite a funny show that uh, we went into a lot of deep stuff, but also some funny stuff about sex and horniness. And Yeah, we covered it all. Top to bottom. Top to bottom. We'll find the big questions being asked here on Caves, Cows and Masks. So, uh, Laura, I have to thank you for coming on board. It's been fuss, uh, fun discussing this all with you. Uh, thank you for having me no no problem at all uh as we always do we ask you if you could give to the listeners uh your plugs like where are you online what are you getting up to well i'm both on letterbox and twitter you will find me at the filmer review um at the moment i'm in the middle of literally just watching like films constantly i watched 37 films this year yes i 
I finished Dune last night, so that was number 37. I haven't logged it on my Twitter yet. 37 films. Damn. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much nearly on one a day, nearly. Damn. I wish I could do that. I wish I had the time to do that. Unfortunately, I do not. Uh, but yeah, th- thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll see if we can bring you on in another show. It's been fun having you. And as for the you listeners, thank you for listening to the episode. We appreciate people coming on board every week, listening to us discuss and geek out. But Tom, where can the people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Comic Book Shogun, where I just talk shit constantly. Uh, <laughs> there's just no rhyme or reason to my Twitter account anymore. It's just whatever I'm feeling, whatever I want to post at the time. So I might post some cool like comic panels, or I'm going to rant about the Oscar nominations after advertising our podcast as like being the place to escape that. So if you want hypocrisy and comic book panels, come to at Comic Book Shogun. <laughs> Yes, you can also find me on Twitter at Sweaty Jake, where usually I'm posting fun, geeky stuff and talking nerdy stuff. But uh, recently, I don't know, I've just been uh, being a bit snarky online. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you're getting mean, Jake. You're getting mean. And, uh, poking the bear a couple of times, but hey, it's it's all in good fun. So you can find me on there and also catch me on Letterbox at Jake Hart. Uh, and as for us, the show, you can find and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Capes Cows Masks. And whether you use Anchor, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, subscribe and follow us on there. And if you're on Apple, leave us a rating and a review as it all helps us go up in the rankings. Uh, Thank you for listening. We'll see you all next week. Stay safe, everyone. Goodbye.